Hello, it's Jim. Before we begin today's show, I just wanted to drop in and give you a little programming note. As you might have heard last week, this episode is our season three finale. It's hard to believe we've been at this for 75 episodes already. We're going to take the rest of the month of September off, but we will be back on Monday, October 4th, as we kick off Cybersecurity Awareness Month with a special series of episodes. I'll also be dropping in later in the month with some news about some changes coming to the show and some new projects I've been working on. So stay tuned for that, and we'll see you again at the Season 4 launch on Monday, October 4th. Now, on to the show. On the show today, a federal judge allows a lawsuit involving Apple's voice assistant to move forward. Apple makes some initial concessions involving its App Store payment policies. Instagram will begin requiring users to give their birth date as part of new procedures to protect minors. Our scam of the day involves a hitman trying to save your life. And today's tip? gives you 10 questions to ask if you've fallen victim to a scam. All of that and more is coming up on the September 7th, 2021 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal Podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have four stories on the news beat for you today. We begin with news from the courts involving voice assistance. A series of lawsuits have been brought against Apple, Google, and Amazon alleging that their voice assistants are collecting data on users, even when they are supposed to be asleep. The companies claim that data is collected only after the device has heard the wake word. However, the lawsuits claim that these devices can activate and record user data even when the wake word has not been said. The companies have defended themselves by claiming that it's impossible to completely eliminate false positives, and that they do offer the ability to remove any inadvertent recordings from the online profile. However, a federal judge in California ruled last week that a lawsuit against Apple could proceed. The judge dismissed one claim, but stated that the claim that Apple violated users' privacy by providing data to third parties could continue. In other news from Apple, the Cupertino company is making concessions with the policies in its App Store. Prompted by investigations in many countries, Apple is beginning to permit certain app developers to direct users to payment methods outside of its own App Store. Without Apple's 30% cut, this would greatly increase the amount of money developers receive 
from sales on their apps. This news comes after South Korea's legislature voted to ban app stores from forcing developers from using their payment system. It also follows investigations that have been opened by regulators in Japan, Britain, Europe, and India. However, critics of Apple's policies have argued that this change is too little to make a difference in these investigations, especially since it only applies to a limited number of apps. Moving to social media news, Instagram announced last week that it will begin asking for birthdates from all users who haven't previously shared it. This move comes as Instagram has implemented new safety measures designed to protect users under 18. Moving forward, Instagram will prohibit adults from messaging users under 18 who don't follow them, and it has also implemented new safety measures for users under the age of 16. Instagram also says it plans to begin implementing advertiser targeting restrictions to protect the data of minors. And finally, broken ice cream machines at McDonald's have become more than just the subject of jokes and memes. They are now also the subject of a Federal Trade Commission investigation. In July, the FTC announced new rules blocking manufacturer restrictions on repairing devices. Under these rules, owners of a device have the right to repair a device themselves or select any repair shop of their choosing. This so-called right-to-repair provision was endorsed by many groups. However, it seems that Taylor, the company that manufactures the McDonald's ice cream machines, takes extensive measures to prevent McDonald's owners from repairing the machines on their own. A broken machine can only be fixed by a Taylor-certified technician, which leads to delays in repairs and, of course, the memes about the broken machines. The FTC has clarified that this is only a preliminary investigation, where it has reached out to McDonald's operators about their experience. There is currently no formal investigation or allegation of wrongdoing against Taylor. And now we move on to our scam of the day. Today's scam is the Hitman scam. In this scam, a person will contact you, usually by email or text message, and claim that he has been hired as a hitman to kill you. However, he will be willing to not complete the job if you will pay more than the person who hired him. And sometimes, they'll also have a second way to make money by revealing the identity of the person who supposedly wanted you dead. In the initial contact, you'll often just be told that it's a loved one or friend who wants you dead, and you're rarely going to get much more detail if you pay the fee. You'll just be told that it's an uncle or a cousin or some other relative that you probably have several of. So if you get noticed that someone's taken out a contract on your life, treat it with skepticism. It's unlikely that any hitman is actually going to warn you in advance. A true hitman 
isn't going to want to give you any warning that he's coming. If you find a scam you think we'd like to talk about on the show, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it would normally be time for our cybersecurity pop quiz. But since today's episode is the last of the season, we won't have a pop quiz today. However, we do need to answer last week's question. Last week's question was, which of these are signs that a social media profile might be fake? A. The description is empty or contains very few details. B. The account interacts with a variety of people. C. The person makes regular posts on multiple topics. D. The profile picture is widely available on the internet. Or E. The person claims to be royalty, an executive, or another person of high importance. The correct answers are A, D, and E. A person who sets up a fake profile isn't going to spend a lot of time adding details. In fact, the more details that are provided, the more the scammer is boxed in by those details that have to be remembered. For example, if the fake profile lists that a person is a huge soccer fan, the person can't turn around and claim that your favorite sport is also their favorite if they're trying to befriend you. Fake profiles will often use pictures that are widely available on the internet. The person setting up the profile might Google picture of handsome man and then pick one of the first results. And the fake profile will often overstate the importance of the person in order to draw you in. Prince, CEO, CFO, professional athlete, or award-winning actor are all titles that are likely to get your attention. A fake account generally isn't going to interact with a variety of people or make posts on a variety of topics. Often these fake accounts have a very limited purpose. The person operating it will focus on that purpose and almost nothing else. That will mean sharing content from a very small group of accounts, which are probably also fake, and sharing content that generally focuses on one subject. If you see a person who writes on many different subjects and interacts with many different people, it's much less likely that profile is fake. No matter how much advice you follow, and how careful you are, there will probably come a point where you fall for a scam. But once you realize you've become a victim, how quickly you respond can help reverse the damage or stop the attacker from doing too much more. We'll discuss 10 questions to ask when you've been scammed when we come back from this short break. Hi, it's Jim. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could follow us in your favorite podcast player. That will ensure you never miss an episode. And while you're there, we'd also appreciate it if you could rate the show and give us a review. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And finally, 
The best review that someone can give us is to tell their friends about the show. Invite them to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send them to our website, cybersecuritymadepersonal.com, where they can find links to the show in all the major podcast players. Thanks for your support, and now back to the show. I still remember the day that I fell for a phishing email. Yes, the IT business owner, the one who sent out daily online safety tips to hundreds of customers and friends, fell for a phishing scam. In this instance, I gave my eBay login information to some unknown individual. Fortunately, I returned back to the email that fooled me and noticed some suspicious elements I hadn't caught before. A quick investigation confirmed my suspicions, so I quickly went back to the legitimate eBay page, signed in, and changed my password. There's something out there that will fool everyone. I attended an online cybersecurity seminar, where a chief information security officer told the story of how he paid for a phishing test for his company, and then he fell for the test that only he knew was coming. The email pretended to be from the HR benefits provider for that company, and it said his vacation request had been denied. In what could only be considered an ironic twist of fate, he had just submitted a request for vacation time two days earlier and hadn't yet received a response. The perfect scam at the perfect time creates a perfect storm that could trick you into falling for that scam. It doesn't matter how careful you are, there is still the possibility that you could be tricked. So if you find yourself in this position where you realize you fell for a scam, what should you do? To begin, you have to figure out what information has been compromised. The steps you'll take if you fall victim to a phishing scam are completely different from the ones you'll take if you accidentally wired money to a scammer. So here are 10 questions that will help you identify what has been compromised and what to do if the answer is yes. 1. Did you provide any usernames or passwords to the scammer? Obviously, if you did fall for a phishing email, you should change your password as soon as possible. However, you should also look for signs that your account may have been accessed, especially if you didn't have any form of two-factor authentication enabled. Check any logs that you might have access to, such as Facebook's activity log. You may also be able to view a list of all the places where you're signed in. Check that list and remove any unfamiliar sign-ins. Don't skimp here if you think your password might have been compromised. The worst thing that could happen to you is that you remove a legitimate login and you'll have to sign in again on that device. 2. If your password was compromised, are you using that password anywhere else? Credential stuffing is the practice of taking compromised email addresses and passwords and then trying that same combination on different sites. 
If you reuse the same password on multiple sites, and that password is compromised on one of them, you can be sure that compromised password will be tried on many common sites, such as Amazon and Facebook. So if you're someone who decided to reuse passwords, make sure that a compromised password never gets used anywhere else again. 3. Were you asked to provide a code that was sent to your email address or phone number? If a person gets your username and password, they will hopefully be thwarted by the two-factor authentication that you set up. However, that doesn't mean that all is lost for the scammer, especially if the two-factor authentication method is a code texted to your phone or sent to your email. If the attacker also has your phone number or email address, they can reach out to you and ask for the code, pretending to be a helpful member of the customer service team. If you provide that code, all the two-factor authentication in the world isn't going to help. 4. Did you provide information that might be used to answer security questions, such as your mother's maiden name or the street that you grew up on? Regular listeners of this show know that I'm not a big fan of security questions. Most questions ask for information that would be available to someone who wanted to look hard enough for it. And while you can change the way that you word your answer, there's only so many different ways that you can word it without lying. In fact, I recommend that you do lie or at least take steps to complicate the answers you give when you're forced to answer security questions. Give answers that belong to a friend or just make something up. If you do want to give an honest answer, add more detail to the answer. For example, if the question asks for your first pet's name, you could answer by saying, My first pet was a cat named Snuggles, instead of just saying Snuggles. That would make it more complicated for someone else to figure out what you said, even if the person knew that your first pet was named Snuggles. If you use a password manager, you can usually add notes to that password. That's a great place to keep track of how you answered the questions. That way, you don't have to remember how you answered the question, but you made it much more complicated for someone else to figure it out. 5. Did you provide your social security number as part of the scam? Social security numbers were never intended to be part of a national identification system. In fact, they're generated in such an insecure manner that they should not be a national identification number. But despite the fact that for years social security cards said they were not intended to be used as identification numbers, your social security number has become a form of identification in the United States. Unfortunately, there's not much you can do if you accidentally gave out your social security number. One important step to take is to put either a fraud alert or a credit freeze on your credit report. It's free to do either one of these at any of the three major credit bureaus. You only need to contact one of the three bureaus, and they will share that information with the other two. 
In cases where you are experiencing extreme fraud that you just can't clean up, it is possible to apply for a new social security number. However, you will have to demonstrate repeated fraud affected by the compromise of your number in order to receive a new one. The fact that you accidentally gave it out isn't going to be enough to justify receiving a new social security number. 6. Did you give out any additional personal data, such as your address or your phone number? Fortunately, if this is all you gave out, you're probably going to be okay. There's not much that a scammer can do with just that information, and most of it is going to be available online anyway. However, the problem comes when the scammer already has other information about you and then uses this extra information to help verify your identity. If the attacks seem to be intended solely to get information like your phone number or your physical address, it could be the attacker has already managed to guess the password to an account and is now targeting you to get the information needed to verify your identity. 7. Did you give the scammer remote access to your computer? If you've given a scammer remote access to your computer, you need to make sure that the scammer is locked out. Someone can make it look like they've disconnected from the remote session while still keeping it active. Or the computer could now have a back door opened that allows the scammer to get back into your system later. Make sure to scan your computer with your antivirus. And it would also be a great idea to download some backup software that will check for these types of issues. If you'd like my recommendation for this type of software, you can view it at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com recommendations. But whenever this happens, my personal recommendation is to just wipe everything on the computer and reinstall the operating system. While this can be annoying, and some might say it's overkill, it's the best way to make sure there's nothing left there that could potentially compromise your device in the future. 8. Did you provide any credit or debit card numbers to the scammer? If you did, then make sure that you get new numbers right away. Also, be sure to keep an eye on your account for any fraudulent charges. While it's not easy to do anymore, it is possible to avoid authorizing a card transaction for a bit of time. So keep an eye on your account and make sure to double-check your statements. 9. Did you wire any money to the scammers? Unfortunately, wire transfers are difficult to reverse once they've gone through. However, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't contact your bank and try. It's possible that the money is still in transit or that it's still in the destination account and can be frozen. In that case, you might get your money back. Some banks also have a fraud protection guarantee. If your account is the victim of fraud, the bank may reimburse you. So make sure that you report the wire transfer as fraudulent, even if it's been a while and you're confident you're not going to get your money back from the scammer. 
While that may be true, you may still get reimbursed from the bank's insurance. And finally, 10. Did you provide money to the scammers in another way, such as through Bitcoin, gift cards, or even mailing cash? These forms of payment are often used because they're much harder to reverse. However, not all may be lost. Contact the company that issued the gift cards or that you used to purchase the Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency. See if they have any way that they can reverse the payment. If the money hasn't already been spent, it may be possible. If you mailed cash or a check to the scammer, you might be able to stop delivery of the package if it hasn't been delivered yet. Contact the post office or whatever company you use to send the money to see if you can stop the package. So that's all for today. Hopefully this gives you a little idea of what you should do if you fall victim to a scam. We'll be back in a few weeks to kick off Season 4 of this show. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.